0: is this the kind of fast i choose a day of self-affliction of bending one's head like a reed and of lying down in mourning clothes and ashes is this what you call a fast a day acceptable to the lord isn't this the fast i choose releasing wicked receipts untying the ropes of a yoke setting free the mistreated and breaking every yoke Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them and not hiding from your own family? Then your light will break on, and you will be healed quickly. Your own righteousness will walk before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and God will say, I'm here. If you remove the yoke from among you, the finger-pointing, the wicked speech, if you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly for those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noon. It's the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks, be to God. Thanks, be
0: to
1: God. So we're continuing on in our exploration of spiritual disciplines during the Lenten season and I was supposed to talk about fasting two weeks ago and I must admit this sermon is pretty different than it would have been two weeks ago because I don't really ever recommending telling someone who is starving or who has an eating disorder or who is nursing a child or who's otherwise suffering to take up a fast on purpose. To do that seems kind of cruel or you're not really reading the room. After all, fasting, um, it's good to have a little bit of a working def- definition. Fasting, according to Richard Foster in the Celebration of Discipline, which is kind of like the Spiritual Discipline's manual, says fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. So it's a spiritual discipline. It's, it's a going without something Good and necessary for the purposes of connecting with something or someone who is ultimately good and ultimately necessary. Fasting is a reorientation around the notion that human beings don't live by putting bread or whatever your chosen nourishment um, into our mouths, but we rather live by consuming and obeying the very word that comes out of God's mouth. Throughout scriptures, there's all these iconic fasts. There's Moses at Sinai who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. It's in Exodus 34. All the way until Jesus' testing in the wilderness. Jesus went without food for 40 days, mimicking Israel's roaming in the desert for 40 years. That story's in Luke 4. The scriptures brim with other examples from Elijah and uh, Ezra and Nehemiah to David and Esther and John the Baptist and Paul, among others. In fact, when Jesus gives his disciples his famous instruction about avoiding hypocrisy, he says, when you fast, not if. There's a presumption that fasting is happening for those who are walking with God. It's neither a complete oddity, nor is it a prohibition. It's just kind of an assumption or a presumption. But here we are, all of us on this call, all of us around the world are in some sense in an extended season of abstaining, whether we like it or not. We're abstaining from presence, from some of the things and some of the people we most love, from the commutes to the office that give us purpose and identity, we're abstaining from time with colleagues or time away from children, the very things which make us hum, which sustain us, in some way during this time we're all involved in a fast that we did not choose. Maybe Framing this indefinite time, hopefully it's a short indefinite time apart, maybe framing this time that is wrought with fear and separation and claustrophobia as a fast might help us, not just as a, a stay at home order or as a, as a freeze, but as a fast. It might give us some level of purpose and dignity which we might not otherwise have. I'm not looking to add something to what you're already doing, though, um, in this time that's kind of feels free floating, having some elements of structure or prayer or liturgy might help our amorphous days that might not necessarily be bad. But by framing this as a fast, I want instead to describe this new and temporary world that we're in, that we all find ourselves for because I think fasting is good at doing a couple of things. So if we frame it this way, we might actually reap some of the same benefits of fasting. But a quick note, when you, whenever you're talking about spiritual disciplines and fasting in particular, you can't talk about um, what they're for. Like the, these, these things that, that we're going to list are byproducts or logical consequences, but fasting can never be for what you're going to get out of them. Fasting is first and foremost about God and it's for God. It involves us, it includes us, we participate in it, but it is about God. Like observing the it, like prayer, like so many other things in this grace-filled Christian life, we don't do anything out of compulsion and we don't do anything to trigger God into action or favor. If we could, if we could do that to God, that would actually make us God. In this time that we're in though, where there's so much discourse about how, um, how our society and our world it has this like capitalistic overreach where everything is about the bottom line and profit. And we're even seeing our, our leaders on the world stage debating um, uh, what a human life is worth and, and, and working in this zero sum logic The spiritual disciplines, and fasting is one of them, is about as anti-capitalistic as you can get. When we're not eating, it's not because we're trying to get something. It's not even because we're trying to save something. It's not because we want to lose weight. It's not because we want to gain God's favor. The math of fasting just doesn't work. Fasting is just simply to be. Fasting allows us to be in a more simple and pure way in the midst of God's good creation. Fasting lets us have our eyes opened once again to be awakened to this world that we didn't create, that we don't sustain, that we won't see end. But God includes us in this world. God calls us to participate in this world. God gives us a spot. God is hospitable. He, he, God creates space. For us to be in this world alongside everything and everyone else. That's just a little side note about what fasting is for or shouldn't be for. So two things I think that fasting uh, is actually good for, though. Well, uh, first off, this is, uh, I'm fasting during Lent this time. um, And so uh, I'm giving up um, uh, sweets for Lent. And my kids know this, and they taunt me with it every night at dinner, every every meal, actually. Um, but fasting is is uh, when I I looked for some images about fasting, and I found out this comic of this person going, doing a seven day food fast. And this was day seven, and it was all the strength. Again, this is this is what fasting's for is to make you strong. It says all along, food was only holding me back. That's day seven. This is day eight. So we're not as strong as we think we are or we might become by this. Fasting is always an act of humility. But the first thing I think that that fasting uh, is good at is that fasting awakens us to our identity. Here's what I mean by that. I'm sure over the course of the last couple weeks, you felt At some point or another, maybe just for a couple minutes, maybe for long stretches, you felt helpless or hopeless. Staying at home, not working, working overtime in your job to try to do what you normally do easily in a technological way or working overtime as a caregiver to your own kids wrestling with technology, all of these things reveal something to us. They awaken us to our performance issues. Not being able to do the things that we're good at or being called into service for things that we're not particularly good at or comfortable with really makes us feel bad. Have you felt that this week? Just kind of just kind of bad because you're not good at doing all the things that are required of us right, right now. It's not, I don't think necessarily because we're not capable. I think more often it's because we can't handle the prospects that A, the previous way that we've ordered our lives before all this isn't exactly as vital as we thought it was. That we could actually stand to go a little slower, to do a little less work, to be a little closer to home. That we we take our hands off the wheel of the world and it still works and it goes on. That's kind of frightening for, for some of us. But I think it's also, uh, a little weird or a little scary because B, it feels terrible to be clumsy or uncertain. It feels terrible. It feels like flailing and flailing feels like failing and failure must be avoided at all cost. There's a real sense that in setting up a food fast or really any sort of fast, you are purposing to set up kind of a temporary and artificial parameter that of what it feels like if you were to starve to death. You are purposing to feel like what it would feel like if you were starving. Fasting reveals our relationship to food, but also it reveals our relationship to ourselves and to our own limits. I don't wanna sound too dramatic here, but voluntarily giving up treats or coffee or meat, it's not exactly martyrdom, but it, it can definitely be revelatory it shows us how we receive failure how we receive disappointment and if if we were to fast like this with some regularity maybe it could help us it could help prepare us for when we actually must receive failure and disappointment that's not of our own choice that's not of our own choice or choosing It might help us re-embrace our relationship with God and our identity as God's beloved, who ultimately won't let us fail or fall despite our own flailing. When Jesus came out of the wilderness after his 40-day fast, he was immediately tested by Satan. Satan means accuser. So uh, he was tested by this capital A accuser given all sorts of great options in his weakened state. Satan said, I know you're starving. You can have this bread. In fact, you can have bread for the whole world, so there won't be any starvation. He said, you can have unlimited power. You can have security. You can have safety. You could even throw yourself off this high point, and the angels would catch you. You'd be safe. But it was Jesus's honed trust in God, even in the absence of what his very human body needed, that gave him the experience and the power to reject these offers out of hand. God, he knew that God had gone before him. He knew that God would preserve him. He had worked out these spiritual muscles to, to know that more than what he knew in the hunger pangs of his body on those videos that people have been sending in. Uh, Laurel sent one in and she quoted Betty Jean about this conversation that they had had about how God had gone before them in this season and, and just even some like small and really concrete ways to prepare them for this uh, time of quarantine. Like Laurel, Laurel shared how um, that they, they weren't going to buy their their high school daughter a laptop, but they, they happened to have done that in a previous season. And now it is making it possible for her to do high school, her final year in high school from home. Or that you know they had gone without internet for an extended season, and now all of us are relying deeply on a decent internet feed. Um, same, Rachel and I had this similar conversation. This time last year, we were living downstairs because our upstairs was where we actually live, where I am right now, was. Not under construction and under siege. And if, if this quarantine had happened last year, we would have been really sunk. And so there's a small, uh, even just physical material ways that God is going before us. Maybe that's a question that you can um, think about today is how has God gone before you? But since God had gone before Jesus, Jesus knew that he didn't have to grab at or do anything to be known or blessed by his heavenly father. He didn't have to cut any of these deals on his own. He just had to live into his baptized identity as God's beloved son in whom God was well pleased. If you go back to Luke 4, the beginning of that, before Jesus goes into the wilderness filled with the spirit, Jesus, undergoes a baptism by John the Baptist in the, in the Jordan, where the sky breaks open and the spirit dove comes down and bestows on Jesus this privileged, beloved position as God's son. He, Jesus leans into this identity. He knows that he is beloved by God, period. This is also the identity that we spend our whole lives stripping back performance and presumptions that we're always trying to build on fast time wilderness time quarantine time is a good time to do some of that stripping it allows us to awaken to the reality today in this quarantine fast with all its restrictions and inconveniences and isolations and suffering that in christ you are god's beloved child whom god is well pleased before you do anything before you do the right thing before you've done the wrong thing, you can do nothing to earn God's love and nothing to nullify God's love. You just need to rest in God's grace. So fasting can show us, can awaken us to our identity. Fasting can also awaken us to idolatry to our idolatry. If fasting is good at awakening us to the way performance drives us to false identities, it's also good to reveal our idolatries. I kind of hesitate to use the word idolatry. It kind of lets us off the hook. It's hard not to tune out when you hear idol. Neither sounds tinny like some wild-eyed pit preacher who's just calling everyone idolaters and the fingers are always pointed outward or it's anachronistic. I doubt many of us during this quarantine time, aside from maybe Nate Hood, are sitting around crafting things out of clay, figurines and pots and such, things that might be considered possible idol prospects. But Isaiah 58, like any good prophetic diatribe, awakens us to our idolatry. And does so in a really specific way by connecting the false images we have of God or the gods that we worship with the messed up ways we treat our neighbors. For the prophetic imagination, injustice equals idolatry. Injustice equals idolatry. Distorted neighbor love always flows out of the distorted love of God. So Isaiah is speaking for God and ask for a reconstituted fast, one which God would choose. Not just where people walk around like sad sacks, but where the chains of injustice and oppression are broken. Not just where we do without, but where we do for, for those around us. Where we reconfigure ourselves as intimates as flesh and blood, as family with those who we've created distance from. It's in this action, to quote another prophet, doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God, that God shows up in our fast. God shows up in this unchosen fast. It's then that God responds as a light to illumine, as a hope for a new day, as a listening ear. I hope this Quote, fast that we didn't choose this quarantine or the stay-at-home order has begun to reveal some of these things to you. Not just on a macro scale where you get to judge people who like hoard. I guess that's one form of injustice is hoarding it shows our distrust. We, not just on a scale where we can just point our fingers outward and judge the people that hoard toilet paper or hand sanitizer or judge the people who mess around with decision-making in Congress. But I hope this also helps us reveal and illuminate our own hearts because crises like this don't make theologies, they reveal them. They reveal what we really hope for and who we really hope in. I came back to this Piece in Sojourners magazine. It was written as a litany for um, for Lent before all of the COVID nineteen really started to affect uh, Beth Watkins, and she has a litany um, with Isaiah fifty eight of of things that our fast could really be about. There's all sorts of things on it, on here. What if we fasted from self preservation and safety as our highest priorities? That really sounds a little different several weeks later in the midst of social distancing where actually our our isolation might be a way to help others preserve themselves and not just a measure of self-preservation especially for us younger people what if we fasted from seeing mindless consumption as recreational this might have a little different taste as now we're close, closer than ever to our pantries and probably eating more snacks than we've ever considered. Like it can really reveal to us some of our habits and our associations and relationships with food and with cons- literally consuming or, or more broadly what consumption means. I've been encouraged though to see some of the Isaiah imag- uh, imagination. Like this is Isaiah 58, a few later chapters a few chapters later is where we get our oak church name from in isaiah 61 and i've been encouraged to see some of this isaiah 61 imagination that we've been cultivating over the last five plus years it seems like uh in some ways it's being activated in this community by the creativity and care that i see i see it in the people that are reaching out to help outside of themselves or their household, even you know people with kids who um, have the most going on, or, or with roommates who you're not being around so much, um, checking in on other people, sending text messages to other people, uh, linking up with video calls, even if you hate that medium. Um, I'm getting I'm getting phone calls from people who I've never gotten a phone call with, even though I've had their contact for several years. I'm seeing this in the ways that we're linking up with the Lakewood Community Project to help map people and resources for mutual aid in our neighborhood. I'm seeing this in the, the Oak Folk videos that give little glimpses of humor and creativity and help us see and be seen. I'm seeing this in surprise care packages of toilet paper and other small but very vital supplies. Like any fast, though, any time without, It's tempting to want to hunker down and to make sure that you can even survive. I'm seeing some people cut against that instinct, but I feel that in myself, this need to hunker down to make sure we're gonna survive. I want to make sure that we're accounting for something huge in in this world of fasting. Whenever you are talking about fasting, you also need to recognize that you are, when you are fasting, you are, by photo negative, um, uh, reminding yourself and reminding this world that this is a world where feasting also exists. You might might even say that like uh, feasting always is always there and sometimes it just has a silent E, so we call it fasting, right? Wherever there's a feast, there also has to be a fast. Norman Wurzba talks about this, he says, people should feast so that they do not forget the grace and blessing of the world and people should fast so that they do not degrade or hoard the good gifts of God. In short, we feast to glorify God and we fast so that we don't glorify ourselves. In my Lenten fast of sweets, I always look forward to Sunday because we set up these Sundays inside of this fast as little Easter's. Little eruptions, little instances where where we little feast days in the midst of a whole season of penance. There are still feast days, and I don't think these are like pressure release valves. I think instead they should be like Psalm twenty one twenty six uh, tells like these moments of sowing in tears and reaping in joy, and they're all happening kind of in the same space, in the same time. That hope and joy can and must interject. That intimacy and love must break through even in the middle of social distance. So these feast days help me remember that. I look forward to them all week, not in a way that distracts me from my fast, but in a way that that dignifies my fast. We look forward to a time in the social distance where we'll get to be uh, socially present with each other. That's our feast that we look forward to. This is the economy of God's grace and mercy made explicit in Jesus. That just at the right time, while we were without power, that Christ died for the ungodly. While we were far from God with our hearts and our minds, Christ comes to be near us and is among us even now. Even when we don't feel very Christ-like, even when we don't feel like our efforts to be uh, like christ are gaining much ground god gives us grace the spirit crafts us into christlikeness god is with us so friends i invite you to lean into this fast that you didn't choose don't don't lean back don't try to avoid it we're in this whether you chose it or not None of these challenges that we're experiencing right now are incidental to your life in Christ. We're not pressing pause on life. These are not obstacles to life in Christ. These conditions right now, right here, whether you've recently come into more time or your bandwidth has drastically shrunk, right now, these conditions, this soil is exactly the soil for you to flourish and grow in Christ. This is is the time to be with God. This fast time and this feast time as we look forward in this Lenten season to the feast of the resurrection in two weeks with Easter, this is the time to be with each other and to be in Christ's presence together.
0: Amen. Will y'all pray with me?
1: Lord Jesus, help us, help us frame these difficult times uh, in ways that help us awaken to our identities as your beloved children, awaken to your great grace that meets us exactly where we are. help this time also help us awaken to our idolatry, the caricatures that we have of of you, the caricatures that we have of each other, the injustices that we participate in, the the ways we try to uh, preserve ourselves or defend ourselves, the ways that we live in a world of scarcity rather than your amazing abundance. Show us these things. Give us eyes
0: and ears and hearts to receive them. Thanks for being with us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.